1: Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by a very special guest, Barry Trammell. Barry, how are you doing on this Friday morning as uh, we wait for March Madness to continue later this afternoon?
0: Well, quite a bit, Michael. Let me tell you what I did last night. I actually had a plan. I was going to watch the Raptors Thunder after all the NCAA games. And I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I watched the Thunder. Well, I put up devices to follow the NCAA, and so I got, the, I got the Thunder Raptors watched at a decent hour. So that's how exciting this dang Thunder team is. They sometimes trump even March Madness.
1: That, that's saying a lot. I know you're a big college basketball fan, but the Thunder did lose 128 to 111 on the road to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Barry, what are your biggest overall thoughts and takeaways from that game?
0: You know what my biggest takeaway was? The Raptors have a heck of a starting lineup. I don't understand why they're like a five hundred team. That's a heck of a a fivesome when you talk about Antinuby and um and Barnes and Van Vliet and Siakam and whoever I'm leaving out. Siakam,
1: Yaakka they just traded yeah, for Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Paul, yeah, exactly. They got the big man now. So um I thought the Raptors really played well and were a total load and the Thunder hung with them for a while, but then it it got away and You know, it's the curse of the thunder. Uh, They just can't get to 500. They they climb up the hill and get knocked back down. So um, I thought thought SGA played really well, considering the circumstances, which is his annual homecoming, one game a year back in Ontario where he grew up. And I thought he played really well, but the uh, Raptors were – um, relentless on the boards and did a great job on defense, wrecking havoc on, on what the Thunder wants to do. So uh, not a disappointing loss just because Toronto's playing for its playoff life. It's a road game. It's sort of a tough matchup for the Thunder. So, you know, too bad they couldn't get to 500, but completely, completely sort of expected, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they're allergic to getting to 500. They are O of their last 10 trying to get to 500 this season.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you said O and 10? O and 10.
1: Oh my goodness, that's crazy.
0: Well, now they got, you know, they got to beat Phoenix to uh, see if they can get to 500 out in LA or if they lose to Phoenix, gonna have to win twice in LA just to see if they can get it for a third game in LA. So, um, yeah, it's uh, and we we've been sucked into this playoff race, and just when you think they're out of it, they get back in it, and when you think they're in it, they get knocked out of it. Um, I'm fully vested now in them making the playoff. I, I'm I'm off the I'm off the lottery train. There's no reason, even if they fall back in the 11 or 12 spot, there's no reason to get too worked up about the upside down standings they're not going to be in a great enough shape that it's going to matter in the lottery they're going to be you know 11 12 13 somewhere in there in terms of lottery odds so those are minuscule so might as well might as well get to play in and and see what happens
1: yeah it just feels like we're getting pulled back and forth of you know lottery odds to play in odds to back and forth back and forth but I was very, very uh, surprised just by the game plan from the Raptors or not surprised. I was impressed by it. Um, I mentioned it. You were there the other night at the press conference when I asked Shay about the length of the Nets and there's not many teams usually that can match them. But the Raptors seem to do the same and they were just all over the floor. The game plan was pretty simple. Anybody but Shay can beat us. They doubled yeah. him at half court. They full court pressured him, and it was very, very obvious that the Thunder needed to have a couple ball handlers on the floor at all times. But thought it was a well executed game plan by the Raptors.
0: Yeah, Nick Nurse is a good coach, and he's got, you know, when you look at Ananubi and and Siakam and Scotty Barnes, you're talking about some, you know, they can throw Boucher out there, and um, you know they can they can really get with it. So. You know, they're an enigma. I don't know why they've struggled so much. But that's a team that should be better than it is and maybe is better than its record says it is. So good to, good to have the Torontos in the rearview mirror. And it was, you know, I thought it was tough on Shea. A lot of pressure when a guy like that. He's not just, this is not just Blake Griffin coming back to Oklahoma City. This is, this is a national hero. You know, he's the second best Canadian player ever only Steve Nash and, you know, let's be honest, Steve Nash grew up on the other side of the continent. So when, when, uh, when SGA goes back to Toronto, you know, born in Toronto, grew up in Hamilton, which is about 45 minutes away. And some would call it a suburb. I've been to Hamilton. I wouldn't call it a suburb, but it's close enough. I mean, this is a guy that's sort of the hope and dream of, of, of Canadian fans. On the national team and those kinds of things, so a lot of pressure on him to play well, and and he did. I thought he had an excellent game. Yeah, he uh, was really good. nine nine of ten in the first half. You know, nuts enough, but um, but it's just it was just a tough situation because Toronto, like I said, they're playing for their life and they're uniquely built to to cause the thunder some trouble.
1: And Nick Nurse is not afraid to just junk it up and throw out a zone, throw out full court pressure, pull out, uh, pull out traps, just all types of stuff. Have you been to Toronto before, Barry, for a game?
0: I've never been to Toronto for anything. Never been to the city of Toronto. I've just been to Hamilton, crazy enough. I really? Niagara Falls. I was in Niagara Falls a few years ago, and we went to a little village north of Niagara, uh, by Niagara Falls, Ontario is where we stayed. We went to a little village north of there. I think it's uh, Niagara by the lake, which is a really cool resort town. And driving back, I said, let's just drive over to Hamilton because it wasn't very far. It was about 30 minutes, see what it's like over there. And really enjoyed it. Nice waterfront, beautiful, beautiful, clean city it looked like. So I was, you know, I was, when I was a kid, I was a big Canadian Football League fan. Didn't know much about it, but I loved the names, just the sort of the, uh, sort of the, uh, ambiance of of canada and hamilton had a team in the league the hamilton tiger cats so i knew it was a city of substance so we drove over there and enjoyed it um but never made it to toronto i've never been to the everybody raves about toronto but i've never
1: been i'll we'll have to hear what joe says about it next week i'm sure he yeah. got in the trenches there and talked to everybody but the yeah. thunder yeah. um have an upcoming four game um streak as you kind of mentioned Phoenix on Sunday, the Clippers on Tuesday, at the Clippers again on Thursday and at the Lakers on Friday. I'm going to assume that you've been to LA and Oklahoma City. <laughs> so, what do you think about these uh, next 4 games? How do you think they'll fare? Well, what
0: I find interesting about this whole the new NBA schedules, you know, this is, uh, you know, that some of these back-to-back baseball series type things. You go and play the same team twice in the same city and then the thunder was given um you know the two clippers games plus a laker game so they the thunder is like the envy of the league everybody loves to go to new york or la and some miami i guess but particularly la and they love the back to backs in la and the thunder's been given this this uh this uh, triple header in, in la and um it's like 5 days in la and NBA veterans think that's just the coolest thing of all time. You know, the Thunder will get there on Monday and I guess, you know, Monday afternoon, and they'll probably leave Friday night after the game, but they might sleep in and go Saturday to Portland. So they're going to have four and a half days, four and a half to five days in Los Angeles. That's problematic for a lot of teams, and it may be problematic for the Thunder because Los Angeles is a place where you can, you know, not necessarily find trouble. You can find trouble, but it's not necessarily trouble, but you can find long nights and and early mornings. So to me, it'll be interesting to see how the Thunder handles this. Um, Are they going to go hit the town every night? These are not college teams where the coach can give them a curfew. These these guys they're going to have bed checks. They want to stay out till five in the morning on the, you know, on the on the Hollywood Strip. They can if they, uh, you know, if they want to uh, burn the midnight oil. Nothing's going to stop them. But this is a big time business trip. This the trip to Los Angeles is going to be the the seminal moment of the season not just because of where we are, but who they're playing there. You know, they're trying to catch the Clippers. Clippers a little bit ahead of them. They're right even with the Lakers. And, you know, this Thunder's, you know, falling into the deal. That early in the year, they weren't too affected by home road discrepancies. But, you know, they've, they're playing better at home than they are on the road in the last couple of months. So this is a place, this is a road trip that could sink them in terms of the playoffs or the play in. They could come home basically out of the picture. So those three games in Los Angeles, to me, are, are sort of the crux of the season. As, and, 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 you know, they could go out there and, and be choir boys and do everything right and still lose all three games. But I'm interested to see how they handle this business trip of, you know, the, the, uh, the allure of, of Hollywood, um, Los Angeles. So th- th- this will be a good test for them.
1: Yeah, it will. I mean, Phoenix this Sunday, I think is, I wouldn't say a guaranteed loss, but I'd see, I'd have a hard time believing they win that one. Phoenix is just kind of on a roll, and we saw the last time they played against the Suns, it wasn't with Shea. They'll have Shea this time, but it's still an uphill battle, even with Durant out. And in those three LA games, two against the Clippers, the Clippers have been hot and cold all season. We all know that they are very, very talented on paper. But just who knows what you're going to get with those guys. The Thunder are 2-0 against them this season, but only one of those with Paul George and neither of those with Kawhi in the lineup. So that should be interesting. And the Lakers have just really, really revamped. Who knows about LeBron or Anthony Davis if they'll be in the lineup. But since that trade at the deadline where they got Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, and others, they're putting up like a top-five defense. So they've been really, really good. But I'm with you. I think that this is a very season-defining moment here on the road that'll give us a very, very clear picture about where the Thunder stand in the standings, I guess, um, as the season, you know, comes to an end.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if, if you've gone this far, you'd like to see the Thunder at least make the play in, but whether it's a road game in LA or Minnesota or wherever it might be, doesn't matter. Um, you'd really like to see them make it, uh, just to give them that taste of playoff success. You know, they got, These last uh, this last week has been in one of the high, you know, the risings of the thunder. Did they get up to eighth? I think they were eighth for one day.
1: I think they were tied for seventh or eighth. Yeah, right in the mix.
0: So, so they were guaranteed a they were guaranteed a postseason home game. You get to eighth, you're guaranteed a postseason home game, either as a playoff eliminator, I mean, a play in eliminator, or just in you know, you're in a seven game series. So, um, you know. We didn't expect this at all now that it seems pretty close. I think everybody wants it. It'd be great for, the, great for the city, great for the franchise, great for the players to get a taste of playoff basketball again. So you'd hate to, to come this close and not make it. But somebody's going to be left out. I mean, there's basically – oh, it just depends on how you cut it. But there's you know eight or nine teams vying for six spots. So, you know, two or three are going to get left out. So, uh, could be the thunder and, and this coming week is going to be a huge factor in that.
1: Where do you think that they'll, um, finish just in this four game stretch, two and two, three and one, one and three, oh, and four, four and oh, or anything like that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd be hard pressed to see them. I think two and three would be, you know, a, a good week's work counting, counting the the final game at Portland after they leave Los Angeles. I think it may be a week from Sunday. I can't remember, but anyway, Sunday to Sunday, if they could, they could win three, that'd be fantastic. But uh, as you said, beating Phoenix, not going to be easy. Uh, Winning two in LA uh, against desperate teams. um, Not going to be easy. If they could find somehow get one in LA, beat Portland, that's probably a pretty good, Pretty good day's work. Pretty good week's work. Um, you know, f- for all the excitement we have about the Thunder, they still got a lot of holes. They still got a lot of shortcomings. We saw it last night. They just got beat up on the boards. The team is, is pretty adept at rebounding. Uh, they, can, they can get the ball down court and not have to run to the other end, you know, for, for 60 seconds if they want to keep missing. And that's what Toronto did last night. So the Thunder is vulnerable. But they're also capable, and one other thing that hurts the Thunder is they now have people's attention. Nobody's taking them lightly. You know, you don't have to you – know, everybody knows about SGA, and everybody knows that Lou Dort's going to beat you up. But, you know, they also now know now that Santa Clara Williams is a phenom. They know that Arkansas Williams can make a three-point shot. They, they know all these things that maybe they didn't know two months ago and didn't care to know. But, you know, it's getting it's getting the back half of April, of March, and so they do care, and they do know.
1: Yeah, that's a good point about them getting more attention from other teams. You mentioned it earlier this season that um, the Thunder on the road were a lot better, and I don't think it's um, any type of coincidence that they've been worse on the road later in the season as teams have had to take them more seriously here and there. I think they very, very much miss Kenrich williams in the lineup, just – his veteran leadership and him filling the gaps, like you manage, uh, mentioned them uh, kind of being beaten up on the boards. I think Kenrich Williams has been huge for this team, and they're, they're really missing him. Have you seen that at all when you're watching the game? You know what?
0: You know what? I have to. Can I be honest? I don't think of Kenrich When you say it, it makes perfect sense. It absolutely matters. But I don't think of it during the game. Um, mainly because I'm so fixated on the individuals who are playing. Santa Clara Williams, I can't take my eyes off of him. Um, the Thunder has a guy that in theory is sort of a, a, a reasonable facsimile, and that's, that's uh, Aaron Wiggins. But the truth is Aaron Wiggins isn't as gritty or as versatile as Kenrich Williams. Um, Wiggins can't play the small ball center. Um, he can't get in there and guard as many people as, as Kenrich Williams can, um, probably not as clutch of a, of a deep ball shooter as, uh, Kenrich Williams. So no doubt they miss him and they got to miss his leadership. I mean, people just rave about his leadership. Sometimes I don't know what that even means leadership, but clearly, clearly they do miss him. Um, But, you know, everybody else is playing with injuries too. You know, LeBron's not going to play for the Lakers. That's not a trade the Thunder would make. You guys can have LeBron. We'll take, you know, we'll, we'll activate Kenrich Williams. So, uh, Kevin Durant's not playing Sunday for the Suns. So nobody really wants to hear, you know, the excuse that Kenrich Williams is, is not playing. They just, and I think the Thunder does have. Does have the kind of roster that can sort of make up for the loss of a Kenrich Williams because they do have hybrids like Santa Clara and like Andrew Wiggins and guys that can sort of get things done, and then Lou Dort's the ultimate hybrid because he guards most anybody. So um, they should be able to they should be able to at least fill in the fill in the holes created by the void of Kenrich Williams.
1: Well, we'll transition from Will, one Williams to another, and that's Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, J-Dub, or uh, Santa Clara Williams, as you've been calling him. It was a great moment the other day between you and Mark Dagnall at the post-game presser against the Nets.
0: Yeah, well, how could he not have heard somebody call the guy Arkansas Williams? How could that be? Does he live in a bunker? <laughs> I know the Thunder is fixated on this J-Dub and J-Will thing, but I find that a very inadequate way to distinguish between the two guys i I got a charge you know ryan rucco was the uh he is the voice tv voice of the nets but he also works espn games and when the thunder played i think it was was it phoenix the other night uh brooklyn when no i mean before before, uh, a couple of weeks ago when they moved when they moved a uh, thunder game to espn for one of their i think it was their second national tv game i think it was the sun's game it was and um, Rucco did the game with J.J. Reddick and um, Richard Jefferson. And they're sort of a hoot anyway because they, they sort of have a shtick going where they argue with each other and whatnot. But I got a charge out of it because early in the game, Ryan Rucco was distinguishing between the two Jalen Williams by referring to their college. And then in the third quarter, just out of the blue, he said, you know, we didn't even talk about this, but how should we – How should we distinguish between, I've been calling them, you know, Jalen Williams of Santa Clara, Jalen Williams of Arkansas. And so they had like a 30 second discussion talking about it amongst the three. And they decided the college is the best way to go. And I'm sitting at my home in Norman, Oklahoma with my fist in the air, just pumping the air saying, right on, right on, right on. So yeah, I like, I like the Santa Clara and Arkansas distinctions. And I've been thinking about it after the. After the exchange with Mark Degnan, and here's why. Yes, I could, and basically, I have learned which one is J Dub and J Will. I don't know that a lot of fans have. Some fans have, but I think a lot of fans have not. But when someone says, whether it's you or Mac, Mark Degnan or you know Chris Fisher on the broadcast, and they say J Dub or J Will, I immediately stop and process which one that is. And it usually takes me no more than a second. J-Dub, oh yeah, that's that's Santa Clara. Uh, J-Will, oh yeah, that's Arkansas. But I do stop. I have to stop and think about it. And for like a second or so, my thought process ends. But I think when you say Santa Clara or Arkansas, you don't have to stop and think about it. You know immediately which one that is. So that's why I prefer the, uh, the, the college dis- uh, distinction. I also will say this. My mind since I was young has always had a bent towards geography. I'm a lot more interested in geography than most people. So it's possible that just that's the way my brain works best. And it's possible that it doesn't work that great for other people's brains. So I'm not claiming to be unequivocally right. I just sort of think I am. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to fly the Santa Clara flag uh, until somebody until somebody proves me different. But I did think it was funny that uh, old Mark had never heard anybody calling Mark and Saul Williams. Um, I think it's a great nickname, by the way, call him Santa Clara Williams. Uh, This may be news to America, but we have sort of a, uh, we sort of have a glut of Jalen's walking the earth. We didn't have any before Jalen Rose. It was literally a name that was not in circulation. And as Jalen Rose has pointed out, he has birthed and ignited a uh, phenomenon on the use of the word Jalen. And he's right. You know, I went back. I don't know if we talked about this on the pod. Joe and I have talked about it. I actually researched and there's been stories written. Jalen Rose inspired the proliferation of the of the name Jalen in the last 30 years since the Fab Five came along in spring of 1992. So uh, there's Jalen's everywhere and when you get a name like Arkansas as a nickname or Santa Clara, I think it's great. Let me ask you a question, Michael. Have you ever heard of a person called Tennessee Ernie Ford? I cannot say that I have. You have not. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's fantastic. You've never heard of Tennessee Ernie Ford. All right. Let me ask you a question. Forget who he is. I'll tell you in a minute who he is, what he was, all that kind of stuff. But isn't that the coolest name of all time? Tennessee Ernie Ford. That was his name. He was actually an entertainer. He was an early day country music star in the 30s and 40s. And he literally went by Tennessee Ernie Ford. And I always thought, that's the coolest name of all time. He could have just been Ernie Ford. It's not like, it's not like uh, on the stage at the Ryman Auditorium was two Ernie Fords. It's not the Thunder. You know, the Ryman uh, the Ryman Theater, the Ryman Auditorium had the good sense not to book two Ernie Fords on the same show. The Thunder felt the need to draft two Jalen Williams, but Ernie Ford, he added Tennessee and he was known as Tennessee Ernie Ford. So I think of Tennessee Ernie Ford. Every time I, I think of Santa Clara Williams, and I think I I like that nickname. I'm gonna stick with Santa Clara. Santa Clara
1: Williams. I love it. Well, uh, I wanted to ask you about. Santa Clara Williams, J-Dub and ask you because earlier this season you um, put together a piece and we talked about it on the pod about the best Thunder rookies ever. Joe and I talked about it last week, but I want to get your perspective as the person who kind of kicked off all this talk for us. Where do you see Jalen Williams as one of the top rookies in Thunder history? Has he eclipsed some of those guys? Because I know earlier this season he wasn't playing as well as he has now.
0: Well, your, uh, your rundown last night inspired me. And this morning, I've been working on my top 10 list, all-time Thunder rookie seasons. And I hate recency bias. I really hate recency bias because I'm a historian at heart. You know, when people tell me that, you know, that, uh, I don't know, Breaking Bad or Sopranos or whatever is the greatest television show of all time or, you know, whatever, I tend to think, well, have you ever thought about All in the Family or MASH? And let me explain that to you. So when somebody says this rookie is the greatest ever in Thunder history, you know, I'm I'm a natural skeptic. Let's put it that way. Natural skeptic. However, I think I'm ready to declare it the best rookie season in Thunder history. You real I mean, everybody realizes, I assume. I know you do, but Kevin Durant was not a rookie. With the Thunder. Yes. He, when he got to Oklahoma City, it was his second year. Durant would be the best rookie. He had the best rookie season in Seattle Supersonic history. But the Thunder, this is fifth, year 15 of the Thunder. So in those 15 seasons, um, just counting those rookie seasons, there are four or five rookies that deserve consideration. But I think Santa Clara ranks at the top uh, in straight scoring. He's number two. Russell Westbrook averaged 15.3 points a game. Santa Clara is second at 13.6. Russell then and now is sort of a volume scorer. Takes a lot of shots to get his points. Santa Clara does not. He's averaging, uh, let's see, he's shooting 52% from the field. Phenomenal for a rookie. Uh, His his traditional numbers are very good. 4.4 rebounds, 3.2 assists. Uh, playing solid defense, his advanced stats sort of carry the day in uh, in win shares, which is you know sort of a convoluted formula that uh, is designed to tell you how many wins they're responsible for this year. Uh, Santa Clara is uh, number one, four point seven. Uh, James Harden is second at four point five. Um, And Harden was actually on a better team in 2010, so it's even harder to get win shares. And straight player efficiency rating, uh, Santa Clara ranks number one. He beats out Westbrook and Ibaka. Uh, Serge Ibaka, who had a a great rookie season in 2010. He just didn't get to play enough because Scotty Brooks didn't like young players. There's just too much there out of Santa Clara not to name him. James Harden was fabulous as a rookie, but two things. One, he didn't uh, do as much playmaking as we think of, Um, particularly in 2010. You know, when you think of Harden and what he became in Houston, he was starting to do that in Oklahoma City when he left in terms of uh, really um, facilitating one-on-one leading the B team when Westbrook would sit. But in 2010, that was not – as a rookie, he didn't do that. Eric Maynard was the backup point guard and a very solid backup point guard. So, you know, Harden was excellent as a rookie, but I just think in the totality Santa Clara is the best rookie. Um, doesn't mean he has as much upside. Maybe he does, but it doesn't mean that. But it means that right now he's, he's probably the best rookie in Thunder history. And I would say it's really a five-man race with Santa Clara, uh, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, James Harden, Josh Giddy. Giddy's numbers last year, just off the chart. We don't, we don't respect him enough, um, what he did. 7.8 rebounds
1: and 6.4 assists. As a 19-year-old.
0: For, as a 19-year-old rookie. I mean, those are good numbers for a 28-year-old all-star. Yeah. Not a, not a 19-year-old rookie who didn't even play in the G league or a season in college down there playing in Australia. So those five guys, really solid, really good rookie seasons. None were rookie of the year, funny enough. And I don't think Santa Clara is going to make it just because of uh, Banchero. But I do think he's going to be runner up. Don't you, don't you think he's going to be the, Finished second in the rookie race. Yeah, he'll the be the
1: good. he'll be the highest finisher in Thunder history. I think Russ was maybe four or five. He'll be the second ever first team all rookie since Russell Westbrook. So that'll be really nice for him. And the biggest compliment I can give him is a lot of this part of the season we think about it, but we haven't. It's not as desperate or as bad as it would have been without him on the team. But Chet Holmgren is almost an afterthought sometimes because of how good this guy's been no. at the number twelve pick. <laughs> It's exactly right.
0: I never thought. I hadn't thought of Holmgren in a month until he appeared on the NCAA tournament commercial the other day. I thought, who's that guy riding in the back of that golf cart? He looks familiar. And then I thought, oh, yeah, he plays for the Thunder. It's Jet Holmgren. So, yeah, that that's, speaks to the power of Santa Clara, his ability to make us get over the disaster that was, that was the uh, Holmgren
1: injury. Well, I'm going to give you a stat here that I don't think you're ready for. Uh, so the highest true shooting percentage over a 14 game sample size, true shooting percentage is average of your three point field goal percentage and free throw percentage. But highest uh, true shooting percentage over a 14 span uh, game uh, or 14 game span, minimum 20 points per game by a rookie with Shaq at 66.6%. That is now Jalen Williams at 67% on 20.2 points per game.
0: I'm not, ready for, I'm not ready for anybody to have a better percentage than Shaq on anything. Um, that's remarkable. Yeah, that's remarkable. And he, the thing I like about him is he's accelerating. He doesn't seem to plateau. You know, rookies sort of hit a wall and sometimes fall back or at least they plateau. He just seems to be getting better and better and better and better. You know, when uh when SGA missed those two or three games, remember how many three or four, whatever it was, um, not necessarily in a row, but would sit out back to back, you know, he becomes a, he becomes the the second point guard behind Getty. and does an excellent job. And then he's playing power forward, you know, he's guarding Siakam last night. Remember right? Good part of the game. So He's he's a remarkably versatile player, and a remarkably efficient player, and a remarkable explosive player. I tell you, I see something every night. I, I can't. Let's see. It was on uh, Tuesday night in, against Brooklyn. I forgot exactly how the play went, but he's in the he's in the corner. It's on the uh, it's on the right side. If you're watching television, it's on the Thunder bench end. And he is in what I would call the northwest – he's in the northwest corner of the court. And they run some play, and he gets a bounce pass um, and, and catches it sort of on the run along the baseline. And he's probably – it's like he gets the ball probably 15 feet from the basket. And half a second later, he's done. I really until then I didn't have a lot of enough respect for his speed and his his quickness on the baseline getting to the basket. When you're driving the middle, your quickness has to be measured because you can't just go straight to the basket because you know somebody will knock your head off. But when you're on the baseline, sometimes it can get free. And he had that open, he had that open lane along the baseline and he was a blur. And he's a quick jumper, which I love, quick jumpers. So just, yeah, he's he's the total package. That's what, I got a cousin that refers to himself as the total package. And that's what Santa Clara is. Santa Clara is the total package.
1: He's been awesome. I mean, I don't know how many rookies or NBA players or just basketball players ever that you can say this about where the fans and the coaches are saying, we want you to shoot more.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, we never had that problem with Russell Westbrook, did we?
1: No, no. not yeah. quite.
0: Yeah, good. More, more shots, more shots from Santa Clara would be good, and I think they will come. Um, I think he's thirty-four point nine, so thirty-five percent from three. That's, you know, take that all day as a rookie adjusting to the the longer, the long, the the deeper uh, arc. Um, yeah, I just think. He has changed – here's here's what you can say. Best best compliment you can give a rookie. He has changed the arc of Thunder expectations. That's what he's changed. They have somebody pretty special on their hands and not what you think you're going to get at number 12 in the draft.
1: I mean, he's honestly, you're looking at the redrafts that I've seen and people have him going as high as three now. I mean, that's just incredible to get the third best player, hypothetically. I mean, they still have Chet going number two. But if you can get two of the top three players in an entire draft.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. You're right. And here's the deal. This. To me, this does two things with Holmgren. One good, one bad. This. Um, alleviate some of the pressure off Holmgren to be a superstar because here's a guy that might do it instead. On the other hand, it increases the pressure because if Holmgren can just be as good as the typical number two pick should be, well, then the thunder is sort of set at the top. You know, forever you thought, well, how are they going to get a superstar? Well, it turns out you know, they need a number one to go with, with SGA at number two. Well, it turns out SGA is the number one. So, so how are they going to get a number two? Well, two years ago, when they had all those, that draft possibility, you know, 75% chance of a number of a top five pick, 25% chance for two top five picks ended up with no top five picks. Um, you like, know, well, how are they going to get one? Now they got a decent chance at two extra because of Santa Clara's emergence, and here's Chet Holmgren. So a little bit of pressure on Holmgren to deliver. Because if he can deliver, if he can become a big time player, the Thunder is sort of, you know, they're sort of on on the fast track when it comes to elite
1: talent. Yeah, they're cooking right now. And it's been really, really fun this season. Um, like we mentioned, it's been there's been times where I'm thinking of Chet and there's other times where I'm just completely just immersed in this season and this team that's going on. And it's been a lot of fun going to games, going to pressers. Um, I want to go back to another conversation you had at one of the pressers, and that's with Mark Dagnall in pregame, where you were talking about the referees, and that'll transition to our next segment about kind of the players versus referees movement that you've been talking about and that you asked Mark Dagnall about, about the um, – relationship between referees and players because it feels like superstars the more they evolve and get higher level talent and get more notoriety their um I guess relationship with the referees kind of deteriorates but I'll let you take it from here
0: yeah you know I'm just so turned off by NBA superstars and their constant complaining Luka Doncic is the captain of that team Draymond Green is sort of the is sort of the mascot of that team and then we had the Van Vliet you know I, didn't know, I didn't know Fred Van VanVleet's situation with refs, but he goes off early last week and not only crosses the line, he, he blew up the border with a profanity laced. He wasn't a tirade. He wasn't mad. He's just sitting up there talking. Um, oh heck, what's the name of the ref? Was it Ben Martin? Uh, uh Ben Taylor, I think. Ben Taylor, Ben Taylor. Ben Martin's the Air First football coach from 50 years ago. But anyway, Ben Taylor. He just sits up there talking about how Ben Taylor's a terrible ref and obviously biased and crooked and all that. And I hate to hear that stuff. It damages the credibility of the league. Anytime people, whether it's players, broadcasters, even fans, anytime They go into a deep dissertation on the credibility of um, of, of referees. It strikes at the credibility of the league. I mean, there are people that believe the NBA is fixed. There are people that believe the NBA is crooked. And they believe that because they've been indoctrinated so much by people complaining about officials. Now, I don't think I've ever given you my theory on this, Michael. So. Uh, you know some people might have heard it. I say it on the radio. I've written about it, but... I'm ready. It's, it's worth repeating. It's worth repeating. If you want me to believe in a conspiracy theory that that the NBA actually fixes the lottery or fixes games or protects superstars, you're going to have to show me the money. You're going to have to show me how the extra income From a television contract if the Lakers make the playoffs or the Knicks make the playoffs or whatever the motivation is is provided. You're going to have to show me how that is worth more than the risk of what you're going to lose if the conspiracy ever comes to light. If it's found out that the NBA does have crooked refs and by crooked I mean I don't, I'm not talking about Tim he, uh, you know, a, a renegade who's just a knucklehead. I'm talking about the league involved in fixing games. Do You know the damage that would do to the league. It would end the NBA as basically a legitimate organization. It would fall into pro wrestling uh, level, where you can't trust anything. These are businessmen. They're not going to risk. Billions, billions, and billions dollar industry to make a little bit more, when it could cost them way uh, it, it could cost them way more in losses if this came to light. People are not fixing games. If Ben Taylor doesn't like Fred Van Vliet, and that's possible, I'm not saying it's not feasible. But if that's true. We need to work on just fixing that relationship. We don't, need to, we don't need to just say the refs are crooked and there's an agenda and all these things. So I would like to see better relationships between the officials and referees and, and the players. And it's almost impossible to do when the players play basketball 90% of the time and go into uh, thespian routines 10% of the time when they're on the court acting and 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 trying to uh trying to uh, uh convince people that they were somehow wronged uh, with with a whistle. And that's one thing I like about this current Thunder team. It's something I did not like about the previous incarnation of the Thunder back in the you know from about 12 on 12 to 18 the Westbrook era 19 wasn't just Westbrook, is Durant. It was Harden. It's all kinds of people, but the Thunder was the Thunder was not respectful of the officiating. Uh, constant complaining, constant whining, and they don't do that anymore. They there are calls they don't like. They go up and they'll, they'll throw their hands up. That's just human. You know, those kinds of that, that's just sort of a natural reaction, but they get over it immediately and they run back down court. My personal impression, and maybe maybe you disagree with me, but maybe not. The better you get as a team, the more status you have as a player, the more likely you are to want to think you deserve the calls. The more you're likely to think you can do something about them. So that's why we see that I ran the list of the top, you know, players with the most technicals. Most of most of that list is star-studded players: Durant, Tatum. Um uh Darren Fox, um Whoever Draymond, else on, Luca, Draymond, Draymond, Luca, Draymond. Every once in a while you get a Dylan Brooks, who's just a psychopath. So, you know, he's not a star, but you know, you can't you can't account for psychopaths. But um it's just sort of a natural trend. And I hope the Thunders can somehow avoid that. And and Dagnault shared a great story with us about Al Horford, who's one of the great gentlemen of the NBA. He was here for a year, played only half a season, but when he he was here, he taught the Thunder to get to know the referees, call them by name, treat them re- with respect. Dagnault uh, shared with us one of his one of his uh, uh, pregame uh, traditions is on on the uh, pregame scouting report video where they go over you know quick things. They throw up the names. And photos of the referees that night, just so people can identify the refs by name, picture them, get out on the court, speak to them. Um, I mean, you know, when you talk about you you mentioned human nature the other day. It's just human nature. If somebody's nicer to you, I don't know if it's gonna make a difference, but if it does make a difference, it's gonna make a difference in a positive way, not a negative. And you know, kill him with kindness for crying out loud. Nobody tries that. Nobody tries that. Put your arm around the ref. You know, and say, "Hey, good job, good job."
1: Tough call. Well, and that's what Shea alluded to later on. He said, "You know, the referees. There's, there's never a good job ref yeah. night." Um, he talked about it. Well, I'll let you answer it because you're the one who asked the question to him. But he, he gave you a pretty good answer about the referees and his relationship with them.
0: Yeah, I and he did, and uh, he had a very good. He he had a very good uh, explanation, just saying, you know what? They don't get all the calls right, but it's impossible not to. So um, I hope he keeps that deportment. We got a fighting chance because he's Canadian. And frankly, uh, the Canadians are fabulous people. And I I'm, I'm not being funny. I actually think there is something to that, that the Canadians are more they're just sort of willing to accept things rather than thinking, you know, waking up every day thinking that somebody's out to get them. So, um, with Dort and, um, and SGA out there doing that, you know, I'm hoping that that culture can, can continue. It's not going to be easy. Like I said, the better the Thunder get, the, the more high-profile SGA gets, there's going to be pressure on him to, to lean on the refs. I hope he can stave that off as much as possible.
1: I might have to throw a wrench in your Canadian theory. Dylan Brooks is Canadian, by the way. Dylan,
0: he is Canadian. Have we checked his? Have we checked his lineage? We have is it not. Possible that he? Is it possible that he's actually some sort of a, some sort of a subversive, maybe a plant, uh, from somebody just trying to take down the Canadian culture? That's that's possible. I think
1: inside um, man. That's more realistic than the NBA being rigged. Is that the? <laughs> We have an inside man in Canada. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: You know, it's the exception that proves the rule. That's what I would say. The yeah. exception that proves the rule.
1: And then um, you mentioned Ben Taylor and Fred Van Vliet. Were you aware that Ben Taylor was on the referee crew last night for the Raptors Thunder game? I did not know that. He was. Well, I
0: wish. I- Golly, come on, Chris Fisher. Did, they, did Chris and, and Michael Cage talk about it? They
1: did not. I saw it somewhere ah, else.
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I got to lay. I'm going to have to lay down,
1: Michael. I'm getting lightheaded. I'm
0: getting lightheaded. Well, see, now here's the deal. I didn't even notice. And I thought, I thought the game was finally officiated. I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, uh, the Raptors shot a lot more foul shots, particularly early. But, you know, well, let's see. Uh, it's 28-20 in foul shots. Uh, Van Vleet turns out, did not go to the line. But,
1: you know, um,
0: but uh, I did not know he was out there. I wonder what the interaction was between Van Vliet and Taylor.
1: I'm sure all cordial. That's, of course,
0: very professional. I, I wish I'd have known that. I'd have watched the whole dang game. Uh, with that, angle, I'd have tried to, of course, I don't know Ben Taylor by name and sight. Um, I know about half the refs, you know, when, you're in the, when you have playoff runs, you see them over and over and night after night and you get to know them uh, better and easier, but that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. Crying out loud, you're breaking news to me, there, Michael. You're breaking news.
1: Sorry about that, but that's what we're about—breaking news here, Barry. Thanks for coming on with me, though. I appreciate it. Do you have anything to plug before you get out of here? I know we just touched on one of your Scissor Tails stories, well, which people definitely well, need to hey, read.
0: My Friday Scissor Tails, which will be published early this afternoon. Friday afternoon, we'll have the top ten rookie in seasons in NBA in Thunder history. Top ten, and I've already spoiled the plot. Santa Clara is going to be number one, but um, but it's interesting, and this is probably a good subject for another for another podcast. But the Thunder seems to to uh, collect in bundles quality rookie seasons. In other words, Westbrook, Harden, Abaca. We're over a two-year period. Now we're in this period where uh, Giddy, Santa Clara, and frankly, there's a, on my top ten, there's a couple more guys uh, of recent vintage this year or last year on that list. So not a ton of great rookies in the middle when the Thunder was riding high with Westbrook and Durant. But in the early days, in the current days, a big collection of rookies having good gears.
1: Not a lot of Cameron Payne or Perry Jones, I'm guessing, in there, probably. Yeah. Well, you, you'll be surprised. Oh, yeah. You, you will
0: be surprised. I'm excited. There will, be a, there will be a surprise one for you.
1: I'm excited. That's definitely going to be something I'll read while okay. I'll eat lunch later today. But, Barry, thanks again for coming on with me and making time during March Madness. Ready for you to go watch some basketball for sure. And also, thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Make sure to like, you know, like, comment, subscribe. Rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ThunderbudPod on Twitter. And we'll be back again on Tuesday.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any